The gospel text for today is often called the Canticle of Zechariah or the Song of Zechariah. But as is often the case before there is a song, there is a story. Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist, and like Mary, Zechariah is visited by an angel. And things happen as they do when an angel comes to call. So I'm going to share that story first, and then we'll read the scripture, and then we'll think some on what Zechariah has to sing. So since I'm changing things up a little bit, let's, let's start with our affirmation of the word. We celebrate the written word of scripture. Thanks be to God. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Thanks be to God. As the gospel of Luke opens, Zechariah is a priest serving in the temple. He and his wife Elizabeth are, scripture tells us, well along in years, and they are childless. One day, Zechariah is in the temple doing his priestly duties, preparing the space for worship, lighting the lamps, preparing the scripture, tending the holy spaces, when an angel appears and says, Zechariah, fear not, your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth is going to have a son. This son will not only be your joy and your delight, but he will bring the people back to God. He will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. He will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, Zechariah takes a step back in the quiet of the place, and he says, how, how can this be? We are old. And the angel replies, oh, Zechariah, it can be and it will be. I am Gabriel. I stand in God's presence, and I've been sent to tell you this good news. But because you haven't believed my words, you will not be able to speak until this comes to pass. And Zechariah goes silent. Elizabeth does conceive, and then for nine months, we hear nothing from Zechariah. Silence. As the other Advent stories we know so well unfold, the angel comes to Mary, Elizabeth's cousin, and announces that Mary will bear the Christ. Mary runs to her cousin Elizabeth, and Elizabeth's baby leaps in her womb, and she calls out to Mary, mother of my Lord, and Mary sings the Magnificat, my soul glorifies God, my heart shall sing, God is bringing down the powerful and lifting up the lowly, and we'll talk about that song in a couple of weeks. After all that happens, nine months later, we circle back to Zechariah, who has been silent for these nine months of pregnancy, unable to speak, and Elizabeth gives birth. A crowd gathers, and they're ready to name the baby after his father because that is what's done. But Elizabeth steps in and says, his name is John. And she's a woman, so don't you know the crowd looks to Zechariah, the man, says, well. And Zechariah looks to Elizabeth and he motions for a tablet and he writes out, his name is John. And in that moment, Zechariah can speak. 
After nine months of silence, Zechariah can speak, and don't you know it, Zechariah has something to say, and what he says or sings is today's scripture, Luke 1, beginning at verse 68. Blessed be the God of Israel, for God has looked favorably on the people and redeemed them. God has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of God's servant, David, as spoken through the mouth of God's holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from all our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus God has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered the holy covenant, the oath that God swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness before God all our days. And you, you, my son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the path of peace. Now, it's not surprising that Zechariah sings of salvation. God has done what God said God would do. The child to this couple well along in years, away out of no way, the impossible possible here embodied in this baby who will become John the Baptist. Indeed, this is the song that the people, God's people, have been singing for centuries. Think, think of the Psalms. This is a people crushed and oppressed by empire. And again and again, the people cry out. They sing for God to save them from every kind of hurt and harm, from violence, from oppression, from enemies, from fear, from ourselves. So it's not surprising that after nine months of silence and this miraculous birth, Zechariah opens his mouth and sings. Maybe he shouts, God is raising up for us a savior, a savior who will save us from all our enemies. But then... Then Zechariah sings something that startles. In this song of salvation, Zechariah sings that God is doing this. God is saving us through God's tender mercy. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Salvation is coming not in the power of mighty armies, but in the power of God's tender mercy. It is a tender mercy that will bring down every despot and lift up the downtrodden. It is a tender mercy that will save us from everything, from everything that does us harm. That's not what I'd expect to find here. In their world of violence and oppression and power over and the brute force of empire, the powers will be brought down by tender mercy. That's what Zechariah says, and it makes me wonder if that's what Zechariah says. What has Zechariah seen? In these nine months of silence, what has he seen and heard and experienced that has led him to this particular exaltation? Or in the words of the text, this particular prophecy, God is saving us by tender mercy. What has happened to Zechariah in the silence before this song. 
And we can only imagine because, because we know Zechariah has had some time to think. After the angel leaves him in that temple, unable to speak, Zechariah probably can't do most of what he usually does as a temple priest. And to be honest, he probably was thrown out of the temple and its holy places because he would have been seen as incomplete and broken. So Zechariah goes home to Elizabeth at first, and, and he probably spends most of his days there. I think of how my grandmother used to joke that when my grandfather retired, what a blessing it was to have him at home all the time. <laughs> and while he is at home, Zechariah has time to watch Elizabeth, to really see her, maybe for the first time. He sees how early she gets up in the morning and how hard she works into the night. He sees that she's a leader in the community, that the women who live nearby come to her for advice and help this woman well along in years. He sees how the community of women work together so that each of their families will survive in a world of bare subsistence living, extra cooking for another family when one of them is sick, carrying water when someone is down in the back, weeping with each other in times of death and loss. He's there, he's there that day when Mary comes in a panic, and she and Elizabeth huddle and talk in hushed tones and then start singing in loud shouts something about God lifting up the lowly. In his silence, Zechariah listens. He listens to Elizabeth. Now, he has to hear what she has to say. He gets to hear her wisdom, hear her chatter, hear what the world looks like to someone who is not a privileged male priest. And in the evenings, they sit together, this couple, well along in years, expecting a child. They sit together as the twilight fades in the silence at the dimming of the day, his hand in hers. But Zechariah can't stay around the house all the time. So he wanders back to the temple, to the places he knows, or at least to the temple courts, and he sees what he used to just pass on by. He sees the money changers in the temple courts exploiting the poor. He sees the people coming and going, the Pharisees and the priests and the teacher of the law in their fancy clothes, saying their prayers loud and long, always taking all of the best. He sees them talking with the Roman soldiers, yucking it up, complicit in the power of empire. And over the course of the, day, he, the days, he starts to notice things that are even, even more subtle. He sees this widow who comes every week and leaves her offering just two coins, but it's everything she's got. He starts to notice how every day, always at a distance, there's this woman standing at the fringes of the temple court, not allowed in because she suffers with a bleeding disease, and she'll suffer for years until that day when she can reach out and touch the hem of the garment of the one who will make her whole. And as the days go on, Zechariah starts to wander out a bit further out into the streets, maybe even into the nearby villages. He sees the lepers at the city gate, a blind man begging. He sees folks not in their right mind, possessed by demons, as they'd say in Zechariah's day, desperately in need of calm. 
and clarity. He sees these four boys who carry their friend with them everywhere they go. They carry him on a mat because he cannot walk. And they'll keep doing this for years until one day they will cut a hole in a roof and lower them down to a healer with fervent healing hope. In his days of silence, Zechariah sees the world that Jesus will see. He sees the trouble and the hurt, the violence and the injustice and the kindness and the hope and the will to survive. So in that moment, after nine months of silence, after nine months of seeing and listening and paying attention, when the crowd of men is shouting at Elizabeth to name this child after his father, Zechariah keeps his eyes on Elizabeth, standing there steadfast, and he remembers, he remembers God's saving love, faithful over the years, leading those in slavery out to freedom, finding those in exile and bringing them home, and Zechariah sees this child that they never thought they'd have, God's faithful love again and again and again over time, and right here and right now, and Zechariah writes on a slate with a broad grin towards Elizabeth. It's like she said, his name is John. And maybe it's not all that surprising that when he breaks his silence, Zechariah opens his mouth and sings, God is raising up for us a Savior. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah sings of tender mercy writ small. Those tender mercies that we know in our bones, a mother's voice singing her child to sleep, a hand to hold in our deepest lost, a cool sip of water on a dry, dusty day. And Zechariah sings of tender mercy writ large. He explicitly connects salvation with tender mercy, God's liberating work and God's acts of tender mercy. They're not two different things. They are one and the same. You see, the work that we do to bring down systems of, of oppression, it sounds so big. We do that every day so that everyone, each one, specific, particular people can live free in every moment of their individual lives. This church has worked so long for Palestinian rights, not as some abstract concept, but so that real people are no longer harassed at checkpoints. They can go home and to work safely. When we do anti-racism work, we do that so that after a long day of working two jobs, a mother doesn't need to fear for her black son's life when he walks down to the convenience store to get a Coke. We work to end oppressive economic and political systems so that actual, real, specific people will not go to bed hungry tonight so that they'll sleep in a place of shelter, so that they'll have meaningful opportunity, so that they can build lives of dignity. Zechariah's song invites us into the saving work of tender mercy to embody good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to work for the release of every captive, for the full freedom of all who are oppressed. What does God require of us? To do justice, love kindness, love tender mercy, 
and walk humbly with God and with each other. Out of the silence, Zechariah's song suggests to us that when we are gone from this earth, the thing that will matter most are the tender mercies that we've done while we were here. Out of the silence, Zechariah's song gives us something to do, the saving work of tender mercy. And it feels to me in these days, with this scripture and the promise of tender mercy, that one more word is needed. And it's this. Maybe you walked in here this morning in need of some tender mercy. Maybe there's some part of you that is hurting or grieving or just plain bewildered, and I don't know what it is, but I do know this. This promise of God's saving love, this promise of tender mercy, it is a promise for you. For all time, God has loved God's people and accompanied them through every minute of every day. And when things were worst, God came to us in Jesus Christ. God comes to us in Jesus Christ and walks with us and talks with us, extends to us a healing touch and a strong shoulder, gives us a song to sing, inviting us and empowering us to live the lives of tender mercy that we were created to live. This promise of God's tender mercy, it is a promise for you. In his silence, Zechariah saw the world that Jesus sees. And the song that Zechariah sings, this song of Advent, it is a song for you and a song for me and a song for all people in every time. God is raising up for us a Savior. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the path of peace.